Well, turn in your, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, we're at verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> if you're a visitor with us, we're, again, we're really glad you're here and um, hope to get to know you better and give you a chance to get to know us better. I, do gotta, I need to give you a disclaimer, though. Today is going to be a little different than normal, and I'm telling everybody that. Um, I don't usually use uh, slides. But the nature of what I'm going to try to do in the next two weeks uh, led me to think that um, uh, the next two weeks is going to be more teaching than preaching, which is okay, uh, especially since it's an exception to what we do here. And I trust that it will be helpful. It came, uh, there's also something else different. This is going to really be fun. I'm going to try to control the slides from this iPhone. So what's going to happen if the entire internet crashes today? You'll know, you'll know why. It was, it was me. Okay. Pushed some but wrong button. But um, uh, turn to, yeah, okay, you're there hopefully. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let me read that to you. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is a, this is a, fantastic, uh, a fantastic verse. And it's a famous verse in Scripture that speaks about, about um, the nature of the Bible and, and it gives us insight into, into the, uh, the, the purpose of, for which we have the Bible. Why did God give it to us? And like I said, it's very, it's very nature. You'll notice, you'll notice there in that verse that it says, inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. Literally, in the original language in which the New Testament was written, it's the, it actually is God-breathed. Inspired by God is a way of saying that in English. That this, this book... The, the scriptures are breathed out by God, breathed out by God. Now, we might want to ask the question, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that this book is uh, breathed by God, that it's inspired? Let me, let me mention a couple things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just that the book is inspiring. You know, like some people get inspired by Shakespeare or by whoever. Uh, that's not what this means. When we say that the Bible is inspired, we're not saying that it's just inspiring or that the people who wrote it were kind of emotionally uplifted while they, while they wrote what they wrote. That's not what it means. Um, we also, on the other hand, don't mean that it was dictated by God. Some people think that, that if we say that the Bible is inspired, that means God said, okay, get your pen ready, Paul. You got your pen? Yes. Okay. Write this word. The, the uh, apostle, apostle. And then word for word, he writes it down. That's not what we mean. That's not what it means that the Bible is inspired. A verse that helps us understand what, what it does mean is in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And you can read it there. It says, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will. 
So he's saying people didn't just decide to do it by themselves. It says, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's crucial there. It was men who were writing, but the Holy Spirit was doing something special in them as they wrote. And it says, so it says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the inspiration of the Bible, of the scriptures, means that, that God worked by his Holy Spirit in an unusual way in certain men's lives, certain people's lives, and they wrote their own personality comes through, their own their thinking comes through, but the result was that what God wanted to be written was written. Amen? So the end result, you can see the human part of the Bible there because of the different authors, but it's more than that. It's God working through them so that what he wanted to write, to be written, was written. And that's why we study the Bible so carefully. That's why we take books of the Bible and go through it piece by piece. Um, Some people laugh at how long it takes us to get through a book of the Bible. But we do that because we recognize that every paragraph, every line, every word is inspired by God. And we want to see what there is there for us. But what I want to look at in the next two Sundays, today and next week, I want to take a step back and and uh, we haven't done this before i've been here as your senior pastor for nine plus years we've never actually done this and so i thought it would be okay for us to take two weeks to to do this i want to ask the question why do we believe that the bible is actually the word of god and over these next two weeks try to answer that question there are three reasons, I think, that, that three ways that we answer that question. And when you take the three answers and you put them together, the three reasons and put them together, that's the answer of why we believe that the Bible is the word of God. I'm going to try to look at the first two answers, the first two reasons today, and we'll look, Lord willing, at the third uh, next week. Now, you got to buckle your seatbelts. You ready? Put your helmet on, buck your seatbelts. If you're a note taker, I'm really sorry for you today. <laughs> but my, I'm going to try to do this is that at, next week we'll put, I'll put all my notes up on our, on our website so that you can have today's and next week's all there. We're, and the reason I'm using slides, which I don't usually do, is that we're going to look at so many verses that it would take too long to actually turn to them all. And that's, that's why I'm doing it, and hopefully the Internet will survive. So why do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God? The first reason, and this is that faith gives us eyes to see the Bible's real nature. There is something about this question and about the answer that supersedes or goes beyond human reason. It's not contrary to human reason, as we'll see, uh, especially next week. By the way, next week's going to be a lot of fun. But next week... Uh, and some today we'll see that we'll see that it, it all fits with human reason, but there's something a little above and beyond. It encompasses human reason, but goes beyond that. And it has to do with the issue of faith. If you look, look at uh, look back at first Timothy, first Timothy three, excuse me, one beginning at verse three. A few pages back. 
Paul writes, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And, you know, we've been going through these two books, so you, I don't have to make more comments on that. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation. And then watch this. It says, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. We looked at that verse uh, last year in more detail. But we see here that there's a piece of the picture that is called faith. And it's not just speculation, but there's faith involved. My mind went to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Very, very interesting verse there. It's not talking about the issue of the Bible, but it's talking about the issue of a creation, the world that we live in, the universe we live in. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. But what I want to point out to you there is you notice those words, by faith we understand. By faith we understand. There's something that God does in us and he gives us the eyes to see the way we couldn't see before. So that, so that there's something about all of the, the um, looking at the realm of, of the world and science and, and all the evidence and that's all good and there's nothing wrong with all of that. But there's something about understanding that what we can see around us came from what was not. It takes faith. God, it takes a work of God in our lives. Amen? Just as it's, it takes faith to understand that this physical universe around us uh, is not merely the result of physical things, but, that, but the invisible God spoke it into creation. So I believe there's an element of faith involved in understanding and coming to the settled conclusion in your heart that this book is not merely the result of men writing it. It's something beyond that. It's something beyond that. I remember meeting a Scottish pastor. His name was Jim Taylor. He's going on to meet the Lord now. And we had a conversation over in Kenya. We were both in Kenya at the time. And uh, we ended up one day talking about the inerrancy of Scripture. And he said this. He said, all this debate about the inerrancy of Scripture, the proposing of arguments for and against. For me, when I read the Scriptures, I know it is God's Word. Amen? And for the skeptic, that reason is not satisfactory. But I'm not speaking probably to skeptics, and it's okay. Because when your eyes are shut, they're shut. When their eyes are open, they're open. I still remember, I, I remember my own life. I remember being raised in a church-going family. I remember I had a copy of the Bible. I remember I tried to read it, and I didn't succeed. It was dry. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't engaging to me. And I heard the gospel. And I, and, and I came to faith in Christ. I, I called on Christ to be the answer for me and my problem. And the fact that I was, I was disconnected with God. Jesus, make me connected with God again because of your death on the cross. I trust you. And my eyes were opened. Amen? You had, you've had the same experience. And I remember, to, to this day, I remember the next morning waking up 
and opened in a little New Testament that the guy who had prayed with me the, the night before gave me. And I couldn't put this book down. It was alive. This book was alive. It's because eyes of faith, eyes of faith can see the, the real nature of the Bible. So this is the first reason. Faith gives us eyes to see the Bible's real nature. And this reason is strengthened by the other two. The second one, the second reason, and this we're going to talk about in great detail. Um, uh, and uh, this is great. You know, I picked the, the morning where we also have communion to try to do this. So uh, we're just going to squeeze it in and uh, trust that as we look at Scripture, it's a blessing to you. The second reason is this. The Bible's consistent and comprehensive teaching about itself asserts divine authorship. Did you get that? The Bible consistently and comprehensively teaches about itself. Now, by itself, this, this reason wouldn't satisfy critics either, but, but it's important, and it's important for you. It's important for us who have had our eyes open, who have faith, to understand that this is very true. And I want to look at, at, several, at, at um, several verses about this. Let's think first about the Old Testament, the Bible's self-teaching about the, in terms of the Old Testament. First of all, God is said to reveal himself through the prophets. He said that time and again. I could use uh, tons of verses, but I've just, picked, I've just picked one verse here. Jeremiah 30, verse 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. Over and over again, different, not all the authors say it this way, but many say it this way. And we see that God in this book is said to have revealed himself and his will through the prophets. We also see that the authors of the Old Testament claim direct revelation from God. Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 is an example. It says, the word of the Lord which came to Hosea. I could, there's tons of others that say the same thing. But when he begins to write, he's saying, this word that I'm writing isn't coming just from me. It's coming from God. Also, we see in the Bible that the word of God is given an amazing distinction. This is amazing. Look at Psalm 138. Verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things. Okay, God has exalted above all things what? Your name, we would expect that. And he says, and your word. This is amazing. God is saying, I have, I, I'm, I have exalted above all things my name. And my word, nothing else is given that distinction. And then also, I want us to think about how Jesus viewed the Old Testament. Jesus himself, as he walked this earth and as he taught, this is very important. He looked at the Old Testament. How did he look at it? How did he consider it? Well, he referred to it as the word of God. See there in Mark 7, Jesus said, but you say 
If a man's, and I'm going to read a little bit that's not, not written there, but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have, which you have handed down. What was happening here was he was having a back and forth with the Pharisees and he was showing them how they've used their tradition to get them out of taking care of their moms and dad, which was given in the Old Testament scriptures, which here he's saying it's given. um, He's saying here that this is the word of God. So Jesus is calling the Old Testament the word of God. Also in Matthew 22. When he was talking about the resurrection from the dead, he says, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So Jesus refers to the Old Testament and says, God spoke that to you. It's not just so-and-so, prophet so-and-so or teacher so-and-so. It's God. God spoke that to you. Jesus also considered the Old Testament to have been given under the inspiration of the Spirit. We see that in, uh, in Mark 12, where he talks about David. He says, David himself said, in the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes a portion of the Psalms that David wrote. So he's saying that, that what David wrote, it was, it was a work of the Holy Spirit in him that enabled David to do it. And then Jesus, this is interesting, he considered that the very words of Scripture were inspired. Not just the ideas in Scripture, but the very words were inspired. Give you two examples. In Mark chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Every little part of it. It's from God. The words, the words are from God. And then this is interesting. Again, about the resurrection in Matthew 22. But watch what Jesus says. He says, but regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he goes on. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living What is Jesus doing here? He's pointing to the tense of the verb. He's not he's saying, I am. Didn't God say, I am not, I was. And so Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are still alive. There is a resurrection. There is eternal life. He was making his point from the tense of a verb in the Old Testament. Amen. The very words The very words in the Old Testament, Jesus viewed as having come from God. And then we see, too, that Jesus considered the Old Testament to be authoritative. Man, remember in Matthew chapter 4 and in other places where he says, it is written. And then he quotes, it is written, and then he he speaks. There's an authority. He viewed the Old Testament not just as some good ideas from some people that that, that were kind of smart for their day. No, this this requires us to sit up and take notice and respond. And by the way, in Matthew 4, do you remember the context of that? 
That's when Satan was tempting Jesus. And Jesus is resisting Satan and saying, it is written. And then he uses the scripture against the evil one. This is a tangent here, but let me just tell you this. If you have some doubt about the power of the word of God and the reality of the word of God and, the, and that it, it's divine nature, when you have an encounter with an evil spirit, and you see that spirit's response to the word, your doubts begin to vanish. Because I'm not, I'm not quoting Socrates, buddy. When Satan comes after me, I'm not quoting some philosopher. I'm not saying, get out of here, Satan, because, you know, you know, Ronald Reagan said. I'm saying it is written. And I quote scripture just like Jesus did. And Satan backs off. This book is authoritative. And then we see that Jesus, another one is John 10, verse 34 and 35. Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Now I'm just dropping this, these verses in here. He's quoting, he's quoting an Old Testament passage. And my point here is he's saying it was the word of God and the scripture cannot be broken. There's an authority to the scriptures. And the authority is there, Jesus is saying, because, it, because the, the scriptures have come from God. Therefore, they're authoritative. You don't mess with them. And then, not only did he consider the Old Testament to be authoritative, he considered all the Old Testament to be authoritative. Amen? And boy, again, we don't have time to, to look up all of this, but the, the Hebrews viewed the Old Testament in three pieces. The law, the, the poetry, and the prophets. In the New Testament, we find um, that, that Jesus quotes from all three sections. He doesn't, we don't have him quoting the entire Bible, the entire Old Testament, but he quotes from all three sections, all three representative sections of the Old Testament, and he treats them as the Word of God. And then, finally... Jesus asserted the eternal quality of the Old Testament. Luke sixteen seventeen, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. This is the way Jesus viewed the scripture, the Old Testament scripture. So the Old Testament's... Um, the way it testifies about itself, the way the scripture testifies about the Old Testament. We see that God is said to reveal himself through the prophets, the authors. They claim direct revelation from God. The word of God is given a, a, um, an amazing distinction. And in a myriad of different ways, Jesus Christ himself, it's very clear that he viewed the Old Testament as God-given. God-given. And by the way, I like to just point this out. Sometimes we hear people talk about, well, you know, there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New. And well, there's differences between the two. There's a fulfillment that happens in the New versus the Old. But it's the same God who wrote them both. And if Jesus Christ viewed the Old Testament in that way that I've just described, and you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then guess what? You need to view the Old Testament the same way he did. 
the same way he does. Amen? It is the word of God. It has authority. And I may have questions about how to interpret it, but that's different than questioning whether I should interpret it. We take it and we, we believe it. But now, um, how about the New Testament? What's the Bible's self-teaching about the New Testament? Oh, man, this is fun. First of all, think about this. And you've got to catch this and understand this. That the apostles were specially chosen and equipped to give God's revelation. The apostles were different. I mean, in Ephesians 2, 20, it says, You are God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You see, you see now, in the, in the, as the New Testament is coming to be, and as the early church is growing, they're being taught by the Spirit of God. They're being taught that the foundation now of the people of God, where the God's household are the prophets, that's the Old Testament, and the apostles. They're put on the same level as the Old Testament authors. And then I've got it. I I, I love this passage in Revelation. In the end, it's talking about the end times and what's coming in heaven. It says, and he, he showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. This is heaven. This is a picture of heaven. It says, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. <laughs> Listen, we're going to be there. Amen. And we're going to be excited and we're going to actually like each other and everything because it's going to be heaven and we're going to be excited and we're going to come up to this big city. And I tell you, it's going to be awesome. And, and we're all going to be great. We're going to be glorified. But my name is not going to be on, on the foundation stone of the city. And neither is yours and neither is Charles Spurgeon's or Jonathan Edwards, or all the heroes of the faith that we can name. These guys were different. They held a place in the history of God's redemption, his working out of his plan in human history that is unique. It's not reproduced. These 12 apostles had a role that was for a moment, a point in time, and will never again be reproduced. They're very, very unique. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 8. He said, for the words, he's praying to God. He says, for the words that you gave me, I have given to them. He's working it out so that, that what needs to be said will be said after Jesus sends into heaven. In John fourteen twenty six, he tells the apostles, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Well, that's what he was doing as they were writing. In John 16, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. He's saying, the spirit of God's going to take care of it. You can't, your mind's going to explode right now. Don't worry about it. The spirit of God's going to come and he's going to help you and remember you, help, help you to remember everything and to put it all together. In one sense, I've never heard anybody say it this way. And that's why I put it in quotes. Jesus promised us the New Testament, but I put that promised in quotes, meaning he, he hinted at it, he, he foreshadowed it, he implied it. Other than saying, 
I'm going to have you write 27 books that will be equal to the Old Testament. Other than saying that in those words, what more did you want Jesus to say? He said all that that I showed you and more. And he's saying that these men, and there will be a few others that are going to join their their company, they're going to make sure that my words, my words uh, go forth and that my words will endure. Mark 13. 31, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will not pass away. And then the New Testament writers themselves, as they wrote, they claim to have new revelation from God. We're going to hear these words in just a moment at the, at the communion table. But think of it this way. Paul said in Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And there are many other examples, too. The New Testament writers realized that they were receiving revelation from God that they were giving to the people. And then, uh, um, and I know this is a fast, fast uh, overview, but it's very interesting to notice that the early church recognized certain writings as new scripture. As the Bible was taking place, the New Testament was coming to completion, people had already begun to recognize that certain writings of the apostles were equal with the Old Testament. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians. It says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And then this one. This is exciting to see the way Peter talks about Paul's writings. It says, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you some things which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Now, did you catch what he's saying there? He's saying Paul's writing is scripture. And these guys that are distorting his teaching, well, they do it also with the rest of the scripture. You see, did you catch that? Peter is saying that these writings of Paul are scripture. So it's already happening. Even even as, as the scriptures are being written, that's what's happening. And so even though this has been a wild ride, a fast ride, we see that for the New Testament, The Bible teaches that the apostles, and we see that they were especially chosen and equipped to give God's revelation. And Jesus had foreshadowed and implied that the New Testament would be written. And the New Testament writers claimed to have new revelation from God. And the early church was already recognizing certain writings as new scripture. And so I want to say again, Why is it that we believe that the Bible is the word of God? Well, the second reason that we're saying here is that the Bible consistently and comprehensively teaches us that both the Old Testament and the New Testaments are the word of God given by God through men to us. Amen? Amen. And again, by itself... This kind of evidence would not satisfy a critic or a cynic. But when we combine all three of these together, then that's, um, they, they help us. 
Why do we believe that the Bible is the word of God? Well, we've said them both already. With eyes of faith, we see the real nature of the Bible. And the Bible consistently speaks about itself in that way. And then the third reason, you're going to have to come next week. But let me give you a little hint. And, and you may want to bring some friends. Bring from some cynics. Have you ever heard these four questions or accusations? Number one, you know, the Bible is full of historical inaccuracies. You ever heard that? How about this one? The Bible is full of contradictions. Anybody ever hear that one? Yeah. Okay. How about this one? You know what? The Bible contains errors in relation to the scientific realm. Uh, And we've never heard that one, right? And how about this? The Bible was written so long ago and has been translated so many times that you have no idea that what you have today is anything close to what was originally written. Anybody know that one? Would you like to know the answers to those four? Come next week. (laughs) Come next week. Because I'm going to try to show you the answers to all, all those four, and I'm really looking forward to it, and it really should be fun. Listen, this book is breathed by God. Amen? We don't have enough time to go through everything today. And so we just got started. But this book, as the scripture, as it says here, says all scripture is inspired by God. This is a unique book, a unique book. And therefore, our response to it needs to be unique. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your, your book. And as we'll see next, uh, next week, O oh Lord, it's so unique. There's not another book like it in the world. But we, Lord, as we spoke of earlier this morning, with eyes of faith, we, we know that already. We just know it. And I pray, O oh Father, that, that you would help each one of us to use this book in our lives Um, realizing how wonderful it is and seeking you in it. Lord, some of us here, we're going through um, very serious difficulties. And I would pray, O Father, for each one uh, for which that is true, you would give him or her the grace to open up this book. Don't go through the difficulty without opening the book and letting you speak to them. Speak to us this whole week, Lord, as we open the book. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.